What is up, everybody, and welcome to the Keeping It 1000 podcast with myself, Adam Matas, my co-host, George Carl. George, it's good to see you here in studio. Uh, it's good to see spring on. Uh, the streets look like they're going to get hopping here pretty soon. Hopefully we're on the golf course and uh, get to the NBA playoffs. You were just saying you're a good golfer. How good of a golfer are you? I'm not a good I mean, <laughs> I used to be a good golfer. I, I shoot between 88. I can get down to 85. I'm playing an easy course. Okay. But you play a tough course, it's usually in the 90s. Yeah. Or low 90s. Or Sometimes every once in a while I can break in 90, but pretty consistent there, though. I'm just starting my golf career. I'm just now finally. I've always said I was going to wait off till I'm 40. Here I am. So I'm almost almost 40, ready to start playing golf. It might be too late. <laughs> it might be too late. Yeah, you got to do a lot of practice when you haven't done it before. Somebody sent me, some buddies of mine want to do a basketball tournament here in a couple of weeks. And I've played basketball once in the last like 15 months, just, you know, obviously with COVID. I'm not sure I can handle six games in two nights. I'm not sure I can do that anymore, but I guess I'm going to find out. Yeah, you got to get the mic right into you. Um, you have six games in one night or six two, games? Two, two days. I oh. mean, you know, a tournament, you're going to play six, seven games in a row. And I'm, I'm thinking, I, I don't know if I can do that anymore. It's been probably five years since I've done that. That's, that's not very good load management right there. <laughs> Definitely not. Um, we got a lot to get to. I mean, the Nuggets, this will probably be our last episode before we enter the playoffs. The next episode will be a playoff preview. We should know who the Nuggets are playing. We'll be breaking down the matchup and all those different things. So this is really a... Last show before we sprint to the end here, and a lot has happened since the last time we talked. When we talked last time, Jamal Murray had just gotten hurt. We hadn't seen what they looked like, but he had just gotten hurt, and we talked about the fallout and this or that. But I got to say, 9-2 and two now since he went down, since we last spoke, that's a lot better than I expected they were going to do in this stretch. Um... <clears throat> Well, I, I want you to know I talked to about two or three NBA scouts around that time. Mm. And not all of them, but one or two of them said to me that they might be better without Murray. Wow. I don't know. Um, really? No, nah, don't get amazing. me wrong. I mean, I, 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 and the rationalization is what works in today's game is ball movement. Yeah. And chemistry, offensive chemistry. And the three ball is so paramount. I know you lose maybe your best shooter in Murray, but when ball movement and, and unity and togetherness come onto the court, the three ball goes in. And I, I watch so many games that are totally and completely dictated by, in the first half a team makes 11 threes. Yeah. And the hole gets so big, and the confidence of the game grows. Uh, so, you know, I don't think you want to evaluate anything, even on the negative side, too much and on the positive side too much because there's a lot of crazy circumstances to so many of the games. Not only the Nuggets are playing, but so many of the games. I mean, so many teams are injured. So many teams got guys not playing back-to-backs. Uh, and then you got some teams aren't even playing their good players. You know, you got Oklahoma City. Right, right, and, yeah. um, and, and this this is not unique for this season, but this season has had more of it than I, I've felt in the past. But at the end of the season, you know, at, at the beginning of the season, you look at the end of your schedule and go, oh, oh, oh. And so many times what happens at the end of the year doesn't, you didn't know what's going to happen. Right, right. And uh, But they do have some good games coming up. Uh, they got the Knicks, who I think is as hot of a team as anybody other than the Nuggets. They're tough. And uh, they play really good defense. Tibbs has got them playing at, at that Tibbs attitude, tough defense. And, you know, you don't play if you don't play hard. Um, and then Brooklyn, of course, I think is the most talented roster in the NBA. I think they're easily the most talented roster. Right. They're the most talented roster and maybe the most depth yeah, they, their depth of they can go eleven deep, yeah, and um, really not skip a beat. And I think Jeff Green, no one gives Jeff Green a lot of love, but he's having a hell of a year. He's kind of had a good like second half of his career. I mean, his career is interesting. It started obviously so high in Oklahoma City. I think he hit a lull where he where I think he was maybe a negative asset player there for, in my opinion, some of those middle years. But he's really rebounded. But I actually want to go back a little bit. You talked about the three point shot and the rhythm of the offense. I've talked about this a lot. The openness of a shot is one indication of, of you know, how good of a shot quality a shot is. 
But that's not the only thing. There's also a rhythm. And I think that's what you're talking about. The Nuggets have, without Murray, maybe a more a higher dependency on Jokic and a higher dependency on ball movement in general, and that creates more better rhythm shots. Are you do you think this is something that Murray is doing, dominating the ball out of selfishness or this or that? Or do you think it's just that Denver has found a successful identity around Murray and Jokic controlling so much of the offense, but there's something positive when you go away from that? Uh, that's a tough question. I mean, uh, Murray, I mean, I think Murray and Jokic, the greatness of them to me is their fourth quarter. Right. Their ability yep. to win in the fourth quarter and the, and the ability to figure out the answers. Even though the, not, not, it's a lot of times, you know, Murray will have a mediocre game, but in the fourth quarter he shows right. up. And vice versa. There are nights where Jokic might be under control, and then in the fourth quarter you can't stop him. Uh, and the rhythm of, 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 because of the injury, you're, you're searching for confidence. Uh, and, and then, and then you're in, in, in five or seven games from now, you're going to step into the playoffs where it's, the, 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 it's like going from off-Broadway to Broadway. Uh, yeah, off Broadway is pretty cool, but the regular season of playoff basketball is extremely different. This year is going to be an, a crazy year, starting with the playoffs. It's going to start figuring its way out. Yeah, I, I personally right now don't. I don't have a good pulse for predictions. So many teams are like Denver right now, where they're discovering themselves. I mean, even the Lakers last night. Who are they without Schroeder? Who are they without LeBron? When LeBron comes back, what do they look like? Is he fully healthy? I mean, I think you go across, even Donovan Mitchell's been out. Every team, other than maybe Phoenix out west, has question marks about, we know what their best version looks like, but what is the version they actually have? And I think that makes the playoffs, honestly, more interesting. I think a little bit more mysterious than they were two months ago when we thought, oh, we know who the good teams are. So I think it's a little bit more of a toss-up at this very moment. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I mean, I... And don't you, I, I think all in the NBA, you know, you all think you're predicting the winner. You can predict the winner in the regular season. You can't. One, you don't know what the injury is going to happen. Two, you don't know the matchups that are going to fall there. And the truth of the matter is, at this time in the season, you usually have five, maybe six teams that could win it. Mm -hmm. And you wait for the playoffs to figure it out. Um, I think this year there's more, more than five or six. I really think, you know, there might be five or six in the in the in, in the Western Conference alone. I mean, I I respect uh, Portland. I I don't think they're good enough. The Mavericks are an interesting basketball team, and 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 we don't know that team very well because Porzingis just has not played right. wild card very well. And so many uh, the Clippers, Kawhi's been out. Uh, the Lakers, now LeBron's out. And 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 I don't like how they're playing right now. So I'm yeah. I'm happy in a lot of ways that they're not playing well. But I still have respect and fear of them. Clippers, I haven't liked them all year long, but they they might have his. I mean I mean Paul George has got to learn how to play big in a big game. But I mean, you know if that happens in the playoffs, it might it might spur them into having a great <laughs> great playoff run. Are the Nuggets in that group of teams that have a chance? Sure. Well, I mean, I think the Nuggets are in a, in, a, in a place where they can beat somebody in the first round. Yeah. Their depth has been kind of destroyed by the injuries, in my mind. Kind of. Uh, they just don't have enough depth for me to sit here and say they're going to win four series. And now I hear Morris might come back. Will Barton come back? Uh, but you're asking, right, you know, since Murray's been hurt, what has happened is their defensive guard play has gotten much better. And Austin Rivers is a good defender. Uh, Faku is a good defender. Uh, Dozier is a good defender. Sometimes they're really good defenders yeah. in certain matchups. And I think that's not a bad thing to have happen because uh, I now see them winning games, almost won right. last night with, with not playing very well offensively, but playing a defensive game. And the other thing is, you know, who's going to who's going to learn I don't know if that's the phrase. Who's going to be able to find the magic to cover the three ball? Right. How to defend the three ball right now? 
It's a mystery. There might not be a way. I mean, with how good three-point shooters are, I, I think right now every every position now you're looking for guys that can knock down the three. And part of me wonders if it's just is basketball being broken a little bit when you get guys that if you have a team that has four guys that are forty percent or better three-point shooters, I don't like know how Utah. you guard all that. What's that? Like Utah. Like Utah. Yeah. yeah. Even Brooklyn throws out lineups out there where you're thinking, who's the guy that you can sag off even a little, and they don't have it. No, there's no question. I've, I've been saying that for three or four years. Of, is there going to be a new defensive concept? Is the three ball? And and there are more and more people who are saying we got to make a change. Yeah. Now, I don't know if it's going to happen next year. But, you know, there is this conversation of taking the corner three out of the game. I don't like that. I don't like it. I, I like the geometry of the court. I like the the strategy of trying to pull defenses this way. To me... The easiest way to clean this up is the defensive rules are the rules right now so far favor perimeter scoring and how you just can't put any hands on a guy. And I think if you already have great three-point shooters and it's that easy to draw contact and get a foul, you're giving too many advantages to the offense. If you just tighten that one aspect of it, allow guys to get into the, into the, the defenders on the perimeter more, I think that makes it a little bit more of an even game, even with good shooting. Um. <clears throat> I don't think they're going to do that. I think they love. <laughs> I think they like the freedom and movement philosophy that they put in about ten years ago, and it's really yeah. saw as kind of popularity wise the three ball. I still think the popularity is big because the three ball is yeah. it's, it's spectacular. Yeah. Uh, but uh, you know, I'm, you know, in the summertime, what coaches do is they get together and they talk, and, they, and you know, I'm, I'm going to a coaches meeting up in Boise with my son. And there's going to be four NBA guys there, and there'll be some college coaches there. And it'll be interesting because, uh, see, they moved the three ball back in college. But it seemed like, you know, Gonzaga and some of the really good teams are learning how to play like the NBA. Yeah. And um, there'll be a lot of chatter about, but is the three ball good for the game of basketball? Interesting. Guys, uh, so this is obviously our first live stream, not inside the, you know, not in front of a live audience, but in front of a live streaming audience. So if you want to send in questions, Super Producer Kale is going to be marking questions as they come in. Super Chats obviously take a, a, a priority. So if you have a, a question really wanted to get answers, throw in the Super Chat. Uh, we're obviously presented by DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. As always, use promo code DNVR. Join us for the pregame show. We always give you two or three bets um, that we feel are locks for the game, and we're doing pretty good so far this year. But we're going to get into our main topics today, and the first one I want to start off with is last night's Lakers game. Um, what did you take away from that one? It was a defensive slugfest, and Denver's been playing those lately. Denver almost pulled it out. You, it's rare that you hold a team in today's NBA under 100 points and still lose. And Denver managed to do that last night. But what did you take away from it? I thought it was more of a game that the Lakers had to win. Yeah. And Denver didn't have to win. It's very true. Uh, and I thought it came down to human nature a little bit. In uh, a lot of ways, Denver played some things. As a coach, I think you can take into the film room in the next day or two and get your team a little bit better. Uh, and they do have a couple of tough games coming up where, you know, um, I think there'll be more things shown when you play a top-notch team at this time of the year with a playoff focus going on. Um, you know, last night's game I thought was interesting because I thought the game was won by Marcus Hull. Yeah. You know who was sitting on the bench the last yeah. seven, eight, nine games? They chose last night to actually play him finally. It's right. a little frustrating. You know, he made big threes, and yeah. you got, then you got some passing into the game in the fourth quarter. And it was, um, you know, it, it, it was just human nature. I think Lakers felt a little extra pressure to win a game. Uh, so I don't know if that means they want to play Denver in, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the first round. The way the way the season is right now, no one knows. Denver could win the rest of their games and finish third, and L.A. could lose three or four games and finish sixth. Right. So I, I always got confused at this time of year because I didn't want to root for teams. I didn't want right, to. Right. Right. I didn't want to root for their demise. I just wanted to play the game. And but there are matchups that probably the Coach Malone staff is probably knows. 
who they probably would want to play. Are the Lakers a team that Denver does not want to play? Is that a tough matchup for Denver, especially tough matchup for Denver? I think so. Why uh, is that? I'm, I think the one thing that comes to my mind, they have three big guys yeah, that yep. think they can cover Jokic. Right. And they have options. They can start with Drummond. You get in foul trouble, they can bring in Anthony Davis. Or they can save Anthony Davis for the fifth, fourth quarter and play Gasol and Drummond yep. the first three quarters. Um, they don't. I don't think they have to double him. Uh, you know, and and um, and I think we all know how important Jokic is. He's the MVP of the league. He's had a fantastic season. Um, I'll say it again, fans of Denver, you don't understand how good this kid is. <laughs> you don't understand as a coach how fun it is to watch this guy play basketball. Um, and he seems to get stronger and better. And psychologically, I think he's realizing how good he is. Yeah. Sometimes players just like playing and they don't think about it. But there have been a couple games lately where he, know, in the, he knows in the fourth quarter there's no one out there that can stop him. Which games are you thinking of? Are there ones off the top of your head you can think of? I thought of? last night he was, he, he, you know, he, it kicked in when they were down 10 or 12 or 13 or 14. I don't know what it, it was. It felt like it was over and they stormed back pretty quickly. And, you know, and I, you know, Porter Jr. made some shots, but Jokic was the control mechanism yeah. almost on every play. Yeah. I'm with you on his realization. I think it's been a couple years coming, but I think it's especially happening right now as we watch him without Jamal Murray so much fall on him. I think he is just gaining confidence of, look, nobody can guard me. I'm as much of a matchup as a LeBron, a matchup problem as a LeBron or a KD or any of that. And he is playing with sort of that, that level of confidence. That being said, did you, did you feel like last night's game was a good one for Jokic? I should say a great one for Jokic relative to what they are going to need from him against the Lakers specifically. I, again, I don't want to overreact to a positive or negative to last night's game. I thought it was a game the Lakers had to win. Yeah, I think these next seven games, Coach Malone and his staff has got to figure out the personality of this basketball team a little bit more than they have now. Uh, it seems like they, like they like Austin Rivers. Will Morris come back? I don't think you want to go into the season, and I mean the playoffs, with an uncertainty of yeah. who's going to play, when they're going to play, how they're going to play, who they're going to play with, what plays to run with who. I, I think you want to be a little more connected. Um, in a lot of ways, I, I think uh, you know the biggest decision will be point guard. I think you got Fosu, who's a, a, a damn good defender. Or you got Morris, who's probably a better offensive player. Right. Not a bad defender, but not as good as Fosu. And I think Coach Malone can use Fosu off the bench. Probably that's my interpretation, but you don't know. Well, how do you handle that? That's one of my questions here is, you know, Monte Morris, we don't know. I, I suspect, this is my guess, I suspect he'll be back for five or six games. I mean, I think there's like eight games left. It sounds like he's getting close, but I don't know if they're going to rush him back on Wednesday. Will Barton maybe a little bit behind that. If you only have three or four games, how do you establish this is what our rotation is? That way every player knows as well this is where your minutes come. How do you do that in three or four games? Difficult. I mean, it's not going to be – and don't get me wrong, in the playoffs you make adjustments in the playoffs too, so you yeah. could make – I mean, I remember playoff series where I've gone in thinking about this guy was going to cover this guy and this guy was going to cover that guy, and then game two or three you change up and you find out they don't. The exact opposite works better than what you thought was going to work. Yeah. So uh, you're going to be playing a damn good basketball team in the first round. Uh, you're not going to be able to, you know, the, the problem with it, the other teams you have similar problems. The difference would be is. The Clippers and the Lakers, they have more veteran players. The one thing I feel, and I'm not criticizing, I'm not saying this critically, is the Denver Nuggets right now are a very, very young basketball team. Still. Yeah. I mean, I mean, when Millsap doesn't play, you have one guy over 25, right? I know Fosse's over 25. Right, but he's right. A, but he's a young he's a NBA player. In the NBA. Yeah. And so, and don't get me wrong that, Youth is sometimes enthusiasm. Enthusiasm of youth is really powerful, but usually in the playoffs, the exact opposite comes true. Yeah. 
Um, what about Will Barton? Just you know, Monte, you talked about probably start Faku off the bench. What do you think about Barton? Where he fits into this? Would you start him? Would you, having missed so much time, maybe say, "Hey, we need you off the bench this time around"? Well, that's there seems to be a personality thing with Will Barton and starting that. I'm not saying it's wrong, right, right, or wrong. It's something as coaches you got to manage. Uh, you know, I think you got to sit down statistically and analytically and maybe against the opponent you have in the first round that what is the best starting lineup. That's kind of where I'd probably go with it. And then I could show Will Barton why I'm maybe making that decision. I like Will Barton off the bench. Have I, I, I said that three years ago. I say it now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think he's a dynamite scorer off the bench. Uh, but, you know, those guys don't get paid as much as starters do. I know that. And I think Porter Jr. has kind of earned the right to maybe get the first shot. But in the same sense, Porter Jr., when he doesn't get into a game, sometimes he struggles with right. getting, finding the game. Last night he found the game, but he didn't find the game in the right way. It seemed like he was forcing it. He seemed like he had his me personality on the court rather than a we personality. But, again, that's young players, and he had a hell of a run. I mean, he had 10 games. I think someone told me he had 10 games in a row where he scored shot over 57%. Something like that. It was crazy. A real, I mean, real, real I mean, hot streak. And that's Maybe all, not a hot streak. Maybe who he is. I don't know. I mean, as fans, all you want is Porter Jr. to become consistent with yeah. making shots. Yeah. What about Aaron Gordon? You know, last night on Anthony Davis, Anthony Davis had himself a good game, but I thought when he was on the court, he defended him well. And then if you go back to even the previous game, guarding Kawhi Leonard, I thought he did a good job of limiting Kawhi Leonard's comfort. Would it Just of these last two games against high-profile players, how do you feel he has done defensively? Unfortunately, I think, I think you, you know, again, you don't want to overreact. Because both Kawhi and Anthony Davis are coming off injuries. Right, yeah, for sure. Are they, are they 80%? Are they 90%? Or are they 70%? Um, Kawhi didn't seem like he was really into that game. And, but again, this is what a defender does. Right. A defender s drops down a great player's confidence down a level. Yeah. And sometimes two levels. And... Um, and I think in a lot of ways, I might, if, I was, if, I, if I could read Michael Malone's mind, he likes having Aaron Gordon here. Even though we all want him to score more, we want him to be more engaged, more involved. But he, he is not afraid of defending any of those guys, including LeBron. And that's great to have as a coach. It's really a good place to be as a coach. Do you feel like he can defend those guys in a playoff series well enough to really take a – you know, to take something off of that team, those teams. Again, he's never been there. You don't know. <laughs> he did a good job against Kawhi in 2019 in the first round. It was a five-game series, so they didn't exactly compete. But it wasn't because of Kawhi. It, you know, the, the, that series, he really struggled. Um, we talked a couple weeks back about how Denver maybe has a psychological edge on Utah from beating them last year and also just because they've actually beat them a lot over the last couple seasons, and Gobert in particular. Do you feel like, to any degree, maybe a lesser degree, but to any de degree, Denver has that edge over the Clippers, having beat them last year and having beat them a couple times in this regular season this year that have been, you know, big games. You know, felt like big games. I'd rather, I'd rather ask, I'd rather answer that question after the first two games of this series. Yeah. You know, I'll, I know this is going to sound crazy, but I think the most difficult games to win are the first two games. Really? You always hear it's the last, you know, as you go on. Everybody, but you don't get to the last game very yeah. often. You, I mean, you get to the seventh game like yeah, that's true. 18%. Yeah, yeah. You know, so why, why we – but the first two games, if they were – say we get to home court, and oh, well, Utah's going to have the home court. Those two games would be extremely important in my mind from – if you want to take what you did last year and carry it over, show that it's carried over in the playoffs. I mean, we can philosophize that, yeah, you think it does. I think it motivates them. Uh, it's only, it'll only show when they get on the court and play playoff basketball with each other. Well, let's put it, this is how I would look at it. You get into a playoffs and Denver takes game one, especially if, it, if they're on the road or, or, or whatever. You take game one, and I do feel like they maybe would have more of a psychological advantage than say if they played Phoenix or some team they hadn't played yet, just because then some of those doubts creep into your mind. And in particular, 
you know, a lot of this is about a team's best player. And if Jokic, Ibaka will change things. But when Ibaka wasn't there, they had nobody that could guard Jokic, and they knew it. And I think there's something, too. We don't have an answer for this. This is We're going to have to play our best and hurt them because we can't stop them. And that's where I think Denver maybe can have a psychological advantage. Well, the thing that bothers me about L.A. and L.A., the Clippers and Lakers, is they both have three guys. Yeah, a lot of bodies. They got a lot of bodies. Cousins played well in the last quarter against the Clippers. So I think that gave Ty, Ty Lu a little bit of confidence that I could maybe play him 10 minutes on yeah. on Jokic. And instead of Ibaka on him for 30, I can go 25 with Ibaka and, and mess around with my other guys. And and uh, the the starting center is not bad. Yeah. Okay? But he just can't play against Jokic. Jokic so makes you, a lot of good centers you, look bad. You, you play him against their bench player, yeah. and I think he'll still get in the game. And, and then the Lakers have a similar thing with Drummond, which I think would be the physical guy you put on him. Anthony Davis, you kind of know he's had some success. And last night, even though even though I thought Gasol's defense against guards stinks, against Jokic it was okay. Right. I think... I want to ask you about Cousins because you obviously have some insight into him. How can he hurt Jokic or be a, a, a difficult matchup? And how can Jokic be a difficult matchup for him? Because I thought Cousins came in and made a big impact in his minutes in that game. Well, he makes the three ball. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know how much he's making it now because he hasn't played it on court very long. Same with Gasol last night. That was a big But he can impact. make the three ball. So Jokic is going to be more have to figure out his, his pick and roll defense. Um. And and Cousins can score. Cousins got great hands. He's he's big. He's really big. He's really good with his hands. Um, he has a good feel for the game. Good passer of the ball. Um, never been known for his defense, but his worst de- his worst part is his defense. His transition defense. Actually, five on five, he's not bad defensively. Yeah. So I, I think it's an asset for for the Clippers to have him. That would be a disaster scenario. I don't think Denver will play the Clippers, but for me, you know, I, I like Boogie okay because I like skilled big men, but I'd love to see Jokic destroy him. Uh, Kale, let's go to some comments, though, before we take our first break. Do we got some chats coming in? Yep. Let's hear them. Oh. <laughs> uh, this, is this is coming from Bilzine Ball Ball. George, you rule. How do you feel about the McGee Green Millsap logjam and the mm. play to a game solution that we have now? Um, I think Javelle, I think there's minutes in any, in the playoff series against, especially against the Clippers and the Lakers, that you're gonna have you're gonna have time for Javelle McGee. I think he's done a great great job of his career. Uh, he has a veteran experience. As I've said before, I think I wish Denver had one more experienced player probably than right now, and maybe more that has more personality in the, in the starting five and playing. Their, their, their veteran leadership is going to come from Millsap and McGee in some ways. Even though Green's an older player, I can't give him that yet right now. Mentally, he's up. He's been a little bit too up and down. Interesting. Hmm. Um, I don't know. I don't. I don't think you could. I. I really believe, and most coaches believe in the NBA that you can't play nine, ten deep in the playoffs. I think you want to get that down to maybe eight, eight and a half, depending on you know foul, foul situations, and then put guys in the bullpen that after game three or game four, you might. Right. Might change up a little bit. Right. But going into the series, trying to play nine or ten rotation in the first couple games, I think is dangerous, especially if if you have to go on the run. Do you feel like it is matchup dependent, or is there like a hierarchy you see there, you know, Millsap Green or Green Millsap JBL? How, how is the hierarchy? I, I think coaches are going to rely on more veteran guys who have been in, in the moment. But – the three ball is really important too, and I think Green is your better three ball shooter off the bench. And the Clippers being one of the top three ball shooting three three ball shooting percentages in the league, so I'm, I think that's all the coaches for two. They got two or three days to sit and yell and scream and and figure it out. It's gonna be tough. What else we got, Kale? 
couple more. Let's hit this one. Uh, is Michael Porter Jr. the best forward prospect since Carmelo Anthony? For the Nuggets, I assume. But, um, yeah, what do you think? Since Carmelo, you've got Danilo Gallinari and Wilson Chandler was a prospect. You've got, I guess then that, that I don't know if there's any other forward prospects you can really point to in that Maybe, time. I don't know if he meant the Nuggets or the whole NBA. Well, I mean, there's been better before. I mean, Kevin Durant was <laughs> since Carmelo Anthony, so there's the definitely can't yeah, be the only I mean, that's, that's kind of a confusing question, but I think for me, I just say he's a hell of a prospect. I mean, he's done a great job. The steps he, have, he has made, I know people think that could have been faster, but I don't know if that could have been. I agree. He's I doing totally a agree. very good job with his career, and his confidence is coming. Uh, last night's game wasn't the best for him, but He's usually he has a little bit of a bounce back mentality when he plays poorly. He comes to work the next night and plays better. Uh, he's getting better defensively. He's not a total liability out there. I like him when he rebounds the ball. I like him to try to get more balance and to be a good playmaker, a little bit more of a playmaker rather than just a scorer. But for him, I'm what is he, 20, 21 years old? He's. he's he, I gave him an A minus about three months ago. I'm going. To, I'm giving him an A plus now. Yeah, there you go, an A plus. Let's hit one more for our, for our first break. All right, we have an important question coming in from Eric. Mm. Coach, I have to know. Did you know about Iggy talking to the Warriors? <laughs> and do you think it had any real impact on the outcome of that series? I would say ninety percent in the Denver Nugget locker room thought it did. Okay. It was a negative energy. And when you get down 3-1, negative energy is not good for that team. You want to stay positive. You want to stay balanced. You want to stay focused. Uh, it was a distraction. It was a negative energy. But I'll, I'll give a, I'll give Iggy a, I also thought Iguodala in that series played, played very well and never felt, I, I never felt I was coaching an uncoachable player. I thought he was aware and focused. And um, did what we asked him to do, and, and I thought did very well. But it was just weird. And it was not – and there were some players that thought it was heavier than others. And, again, when you, you're, you're kind of at the uh, homecoming party of Steph Curry, coming, uh, coming out party for Steph Curry, uh, trying to find that answer, uh, we could have used everybody being in the game at the same place and, and focused together. I'm going to ask a lot more about that energy because there's a, there's a couple things in the second half of the show that I want to talk about the energy in Denver. Maybe that's why they've been able to survive some of the, the bumps that they've been handed with Monte and Barton and Murray going out. But first, guys, we only have one break. I'm going to hit it really quickly because DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app, has made this a commercial-free show other than this one. And I got to tell you, the hits keep coming. This weekend, there's a big boxing match. Canelo. It's actually my guy. I didn't even know who was fighting until right before the show. I had to look it up. Big big Canelo fan. Fighting, and right now DraftKings has a deal where you bet $1 on either fighter. I would say go with Canelo, but either fighter, $1 to win $55, and that's a celebration of uh, obviously DraftKings' launch here in Denver and also just betting on boxing. They did it last week. It's always a lot of fun. MMA and boxing, two of the most fun sports for you to get sports gamble on because it's definitive. You, you bet for this round. You bet for the fight. A knockout happens. It's over. You win your money. Uh, DraftKings Sportsbook is safe, secure, reliable, meaning you can deposit and withdraw your funds at your convenience. So download the top-rated sportsbook app right now, and remember that deal, $1 to win $55 on this weekend's main event. Must be 21 or older. Colorado only. New customers only. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for details. And if you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700. Um, keep sending those questions in, guys. We will get to them at the end of the show. Uh, I always like, I mean, Eric, that was, a, that was a, a funny question. I know a lot of Nuggets fans have been wondering that one for a long time. Uh, there's that legend of Iguodala here. I mean, he's really, uh, most diehard Denver Nuggets fans can't even say his name anymore. So it's kind of, it, 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 it's always funny to me. I have a couple coaches on my coaching staff that still don't like to say his name very much either. <laughs> the, the pettiness of coaches, I love it. I'm, I'm, so, I'm all about it, and fans, to be honest. Sports, it's a great place for you to put your petty. We don't, we don't, we don't hold grudges. No. <laughs> um, Faku, you talked about his defense. Is he a coach's dream? The way he, I mean, he's, to me, he plays as hard as anybody I've ever seen, consistently as hard as anybody I've ever seen. 
But he also has some limitations, you know, physically of, of what he can do. As a coach, when you watch him play, do you think that's a guy I would really like to coach because you know what you get out of him? Or it's a, that's a guy that probably creates some headaches because of his limitations? I mean, I think as a coach, you want him on the court playing in a positive contribution and a negative contribution. So I think that's the dictation of trying to get him more confident or better at certain things that he might have his weaknesses. Um, size kind of bothers his offensively. Uh, I, I, I personally would like him to be more aggressive offensively than he is. Looking to score, looking to drive? I would think looking to get into the paint. Getting into the paint, yep. And creating basketball plays for other players. Does he have um, to be a better sh- finisher, though? I mean, he seems scared to shoot when he gets in there, so I think defense are, are keed in on, hey, he's driving just to pass. And that, that will only be more difficult in the playoffs. They're going to they're gonna have a rule. We don't, we're not coming off on him, mm. or we're coming off at, on release. Uh, there'll be a lot of things to figure out with him. But I think he has a role in this playoff series. I don't know if it's 10 minutes or 25 minutes. Uh, I think there's a role for him. And he bothers people. He, he gets just... Uh, I, I I don't want to say this because I'm not as good as Fosu, but I played a lot like Fosu. Mm. And I remember one day in the playoff series we played Indiana Pacers and they had a player by the name of George McGinnis. And I kept taking charges on him. And he said after one playoff game, he said, you know, George Carl's not very good, but he's a pain in the ass. <laughs> and Fosu is pretty good and is a, is a pain in the ass. Might be the biggest pain in the ass in the NBA, to be honest with you. I mean, he plays that annoying right. of a style of defense. Right. Um, will he get exposed in the play? I mean, I don't. Maybe exposed isn't the right word, but will he become a liability in that teams can say, "Hey, our game plan now is at least in part of when he's on the court, we're putting him in bad spots." Um, there, there, no question. They're gonna, they're gonna try to put him in a matchup situation where it's advantageous. But you know, the kid's tough. Yeah. Even when he gets posted up, I'm not. I would not overreact to it. To be honest with you. Okay, they score. So what? You know, they they score forty five percent of the time anyway. So don't right. get crazy about it. I don't think many teams want to take him down low and try to win a playoff game, doing something they probably haven't done very much. Right. In their offense, and now they're going to change to to win a playoff game. They'll do that somewhat. But I don't think it'll be a, a lot. Yeah. I want to take you, I sent you a clip from Austin Rivers. And I'm going to read you a quote from him. This was from a couple days ago, I think. I don't think it was after the Clippers game, maybe the one right before that. But he just joined the team and he had just gotten his long-term contract. And he was asked about Michael Porter and his reputation. And I think Michael Porter is an interesting case study because he has a couple high-profile comments that have really made waves. But I don't think we actually know him as well as most people would know a second-year player, in part because he's been in the league for COVID. I mean... I have never actually been – I haven't been face-to-face with him in 18 months. And that's very, very, very rare. Most reporters are that way. But he, Austin Rivers says of him, I'll say this. This league is a funny league. It's a funny league because one moment or one interaction with somebody and they write you off in terms of who you are. I mean, Michael, Michael says one thing last year after a playoff game. He criticized the Nuggets saying they needed to um, play more well-rounded. And it seems like everybody's figured out who he is. And he goes on to say he's a kid, man. The dude is innocent. He wants to learn. He has greatness in him. Everybody sees that. He's 6'10 with a, a great jump shot. And it's just genuine, genuinely a good guy. And this league is really funny in how they choose who is who. And I'll say from me being able to see behind the curtain for now seven years as a credentialed reporter and being able to see this, I don't see everything. And the number one thing I've taken away is that I actually don't know as much as I thought I did before I got to see behind because you see how much more there is. But I will say that really stuck with me the who, how it gets decided. And I don't think it's the media. I actually think it's the masses of fans and social media. It's this conglomerate of all of it. It's not like reporters sit there and say, hey, we're going to make this guy into a villain. But it is interesting to see how the narratives form around this guy is a selfish guy and this guy is a good teammate and this guy is bad. Sometimes where there's smoke, there's fire. But sometimes it really is as a matter of one or two things create a story and all of a sudden that's who that guy is and he can't escape it. Well, you know, I'll just give you an example of my career. You know, early in my career, I was really energetic. I was on the sidelines jumping up, calling plays. But I, I found out throughout a career with the players I had, I had to be more in, 
more composed because mm. I had crazy players. Yeah. And um, and so people think I'm furious and angry from 25 years ago. Yeah. You know, we titled my book The Furious George. Right. I haven't been furious for over 15 years. <laughs> I mean, I had cancer 10 years, 11 years ago. Mm. And even before that, I was trying to balance my life a little better. I don't think you you overreact to any of that because the people in the locker room know each other. You, you're, you're actually your basketball family for the eight months of an NBA season. You're probably closer to the people in your locker room than you are to your family. Right. Because you spend more time with them. So they know your true colors. And that's what's more most important. And Denver has a good energy. It has good character, it has good energy. Uh, I've always kind of questioned their leadership. But I think Jokic is coming on in that area. He's getting more positive about taking influence and responsibility on, on a game-to-game basis, not every once in a while. And, yeah, in my opinion, I think they could have another veteran there. Millsap seems to be a quiet leader. Uh, last year, I thought Millsap in the playoffs in the Clipper series jumped up, and his leadership was important at yeah. that moment. And there could be more of those moments and more playoff series. Another quote that Austin Rivers had, talk, speaking of Jokic and speaking to exactly what you're talking about here, he says, what makes this team special is you have a pass-first superstar. Um, there's just not that many uh, like that. I don't know, maybe a couple of those in the league, but nobody at his level and his position, which really surprised me because there's some pass-first players that are superstars. I mean, you think of a LeBron or a Chris Paul and, you know, Austin Rivers has been around, and he's saying even compared to those guys, it's a whole different level uh, of sort of unselfishness. But here's the one that got me. You could be shooting on the main goal, and he'll go shoot on the little side baskets and get a workout there. He has no ego. I've never seen anything like that, so everyone just buys in. First of all, I had a lot of fans say, write and say, would a superstar really kick a, uh, one of his teammates off of the main goal? And I said, yes. That's that's not even the beginning. That's that's one little mm. example of how superstars have the first pick mm. of everything, seats on the plane, uh, whatever it is. And I just wanted to ask, first of all, can you speak to that? The weird little hierarchies that go on in the NBA between your superstars, especially when there's maybe a toxic culture to it. Oh, it can be much more toxic on bad teams. It gets it can get ugly. Uh, losing teams, coaching co- coaching a winning. The one thing that I've told a lot of fans that have come up to me and talked to me on the street a little bit is don't overreact to winning right now because winning breeds happiness. It breeds uh, connection. It breeds, right. it breeds that. And I don't want to say this because I think Denver's playing great, but their schedule has been soft. Right, right. For sure, and, for sure. And um, so I think these big games coming up against Brooklyn and uh, Utah, and I think the Knicks are good. The Clippers win, I think, was genuinely impressive. Maybe Denver had more urgency. You were talking about Kawhi in that one, but that's a good team, and that was four seed. That was an important one. No, I, I, I don't. I, I think that's the one game yeah. that I thought they were impressive in. Um, but I think uh, what you're talking about is there is a hierarchy, and what you got in Jokic. And I said this to someone about a month ago. You know. <laughs> He's a totally different player, but his personality reminds me of Tim Duncan. Yeah. Fundamentally boring. Yeah. He is a boring, great basketball player. He doesn't do many things wrong. He likes what he does really well. And it's somewhat pretty simple. Yeah. It's not flamboyant. It's not explosive. It's basic basketball done with superior excellence. The NBA seems to like, I mean, I, I always say that the NBA is becoming wrestling, professional wrestling, and that they like not just the rivalry between, oh, this team and that team, but they also like the internal rivalries and the storylines, and they just want to lean into all of that, the team and, and this or that. And that's when you say boring, to me, I don't think Jokic is boring because what I like is basketball, and I think as a basketball player, he's not boring. What I don't care about as much is the little, the, you know, the Shaq Kobe, you know, whose team is it and this or that and that kind of stuff. And that's where Jokic is boring because there's just, it's just none of that. And I, so I, I'm only being extra defensive here because I hear people say Jokic is boring all the time. And I think not if you like the basketball part of him. Well, I mean, Tim Duncan was so boring that people said that, that 
the NBA TV didn't know I want to cover them because their team was too boring. And I said, winning is boring. Right. Uh, and, and, and Tim Duncan was the best pick and roll defender I've ever seen. One of the best big guy, transition defender, defensive big men I've ever seen. And, you know, he was a tremendous teammate. I always joked with Pop. I said, Pop, you're not coaching the NBA. David Robinson and Tim Duncan, they're totally different superstars than what we have to handle. Most everybody else in the NBA has to handle. Low-maintenance superstar? That's, there's not a lot of love. Yeah, yeah. There's not a lot of love. And the thing that I think Jokic does really well for a team is he's, he's very, he has a very small ego. And he wants the game to be played as a we game. And that's that's tremendously important. And not only do you want your superstar to be a pass-first player, you want most of your players to be a pass-first player. Does Denver have that? At times, yes. I think more so their personality is going in a good direction in that area. But I, there are times I think they search too many players on their team Need uh, better shot selection. Barton, Michael Porter, maybe. Porter Jr., Barton. I think Josier actually yeah, has gotten, gotten annoying to me a little bit. Yeah. And, but you know, there's a freedom to their offense. When they play well, that stuff goes in. They're maybe unbeatable. Right, right. Um, if you just talking about Tim Duncan made me think of this. If you could have Jokic. You know, Dwight Howard once went and worked out with Akeem or this or that. And different guys will call on uh, on superstars to give him some lessons. If Jokic could go and work with any former big man, who would it be? Where do you think his game – who can best help his game with some wisdom? Well, Tim Duncan wouldn't be bad to start with, but I would think more of a a passing big man would be in, mm. that, in that category. You know, the one that comes to mind is Vladi Divac played a lot of high post. Interesting. In Sacramento. Have to think they have a relationship, you know. Maybe. Being, being yeah. Serbia. Uh, in fact, I think I recall Vladi this week. I was going to try and get him on my podcast. So, uh, well, that I'm, would be one. There was a couple guys that came to mind every, every once in a while. Uh, Bill Walton. I don't, I don't, I think he's so much a better passer than Bill Walton ever yeah. was. Uh, but the game now is played. The way we play the game, no one compares to Jokic right now. Yeah. No one. Really? As a top five passer in the NBA, not just big men. He's a top five passer in the NBA. Yeah, I mean, I, th I think the, the funny thing is that was a controversial take, I think, a couple of years back, but I think everybody kind of agrees on that one now. Um, you mentioned, though, about the culture. I thought of Austin Rivers, and maybe this plays into the, the perspective thing. I've thought of him as a gunner. You know, a guy that gets shots up and does one-on-one -on -one and does six crossovers and then pulls up. I feel like he's kind of fit in to this Nuggets system. And maybe that's because he was on a 10-day and he's trying to get a full contract or this or that. But I've been impressed more with the style of play. He hasn't made shots. But I've been impressed with the style of play that he has approached the team with. And maybe that is what he's kind of getting at. It's easy to do when you come here and everybody's doing it. Older players, when they, they get cut or they get thrown out of off a team, basically, basically they're telling you you're not good enough. They become more balanced. And I think that's what you're seeing. Austin Rivers, I thought, in early in his career, most of the time, and uh, he was trying to make, make a team or make money by making shots. I don't think he's that guy anymore. Mm -hmm. I think he's a little more balanced. He's always been a good defender. He's a little bigger and tougher than you think he is. And that's where I think he's going to have more of an impact. And it would be good if you started making some shots. It'd be good if anybody on this team does. Um, I had a, couple, a question here from a DNVR subscriber. When Bol Bol checks into the game at the end of the at the end of a game, the entire arena goes crazy. You go online, he, he gets all the interaction, this or that. He's the thirteenth guy on this roster. Can that be a distraction? Have you had a circumstance like this where a guy that was the end of bench guy is so much more popular than all the other guys that it can create a distraction? I don't think so. No. Again, you're going back to that stuff about we. There's this, external all and these external, yeah. all these internal things interpreted by people who don't know what the hell's going on, and they put a magnifying glass on someone's opinion, and then they get in an argument and they discuss it for three days. It gets overblown. When the year, the only year I went to the NBA Finals, we had a guy at the end of our bench named Steve Scheffler. Same thing happened. Everybody, they would start chanting. 
we want chef, we yeah. want chef. And you know, and the players would always laugh and get, it usually was a, a rallying cry more than any type of negative energy. Yeah. Do you like the plan? Wait, this became a story this week because LeBron <clears throat> said he didn't like it. Yeah. I think there's better ways to make the NBA better, is my opinion. Okay. And for me, what what's rubbing me a little raw about these last couple of years is about money. It's about monetization yeah. of the game of basketball to make up for COVID. And I don't think we want to go there much more. You know, the one thing I've always advocated, there's no reason to have conferences anymore. Right, yeah. It should be 1-16. to 16, And the first seed gets reseeded every round. And that's an advantage that teams will fight for. If, if you could get first, winning, winning the conference now doesn't mean that much. Yeah. It doesn't mean that much. By the time you get to the conference finals, you know, you're, you're a well-balanced team and you can win on the road. But I think there's other things we can do to improve the makeup of the game rather than that. And, then, you know, for me, it looks like it's, we're adding, what, five or six or seven or eight more playoff games or what we're going to call playoff games. Yeah. And who's, who's that for? That's, we want to make TNT happy. We want to make ESPN happy. We're not making the players happy. I think there are a lot of players out there agreeing with what LeBron is saying. I wonder, I like the conference idea in part, and I also think that, you know, the NCAA does this so well where a Final Four is like a championship. Like, obviously, the championship is higher, but people say you made the Final Four. That's an accomplishment. I think it would be nice if you could have that. The problem is if you have conferences, Chris Paul never makes or makes one Western Conference Finals, but then you got, you know, maybe DeMar DeRozan. I'm going to try a good player, but he makes it every year because it's a weaker East. If you didn't have conferences, I wonder if there would be more of a, hey, the fi final four teams. This guy was in the, the final four team standing so many years, and was it a championship? No, but that helps us identify exactly how good the teams were uh, of a certain era. Mm. So I would like that. You must, you must have read my – I've, I've said many times that – I don't know. I'm, I've, I've only been to one NBA final, but I've been to a lot of final fours. Yeah. Uh, and college basketball is – if you if you're a coach in college and you go to the Final Four, you got a career. Yeah. In the, in, right. in the NBA, anything to give more longevity to coaches and protect their territory a little bit better, I would be 100% for because you're right. I mean, I don't. I actually was in a conversation with some coaches. We were talking about what percentage of NBA players win NBA championships. Very few. I don't know what that is, but I'm saying I'm saying very it's, very low. Yeah, and then what, what percentage of NBA coaches win NBA championships? And that's probably lower. Yeah. And, and I'm just trying to say to you that coaches don't get protected uh, by, by stats. You right. know, we get protected by one thing, winning and losing, and that, doesn't, that territory is shrinking. Yeah, for sure. I like the play-in for a couple of reasons. One, I don't like the idea of like people say, "Oh, we were a seven seed. How can we not?" You were a seven seed. You don't get, you don't get to complain if you were a seven seed. In my opinion, if you didn't like to be in the play-in, get a top six seed. Take the regular season seriously. None of these superstars take the regular season seriously anymore, and it drives me nuts. If you want to avoid the play-in, play hard. For as a fan, I'm excited. I want to watch the play-in games. They're going to be great. And then lastly, and the most important one, tanking is one of my the worst things to come into the NBA over the last two decades. And I know it's been around for even you know for in different forms, but the way it has taken off over the really the last decade is disgusting. And now you have it where there's maybe six teams that right now don't have a shot at the playoffs or seven teams, and that just has killed a lot of tanking in a way that I think is beneficial. So the cost of is it fair to the seven seeds? Fair? Maybe it's a little unfair, but I don't care. If you want to be fair, get a top three, four <clears throat> seed. Take the regular. Don't rest back to backs and all the yeah, other stuff you, you know, do. You know, I'm not totally against the playing game, but it's just at this moment, the monetization of it yeah. and and the just the two years of what the hell is going on in the NBA. I've had that my thought too often. What I like about the playing game is one game. Yeah. And I, I've advocated that I think in the middle uh, in the middle of February, the best thing you could do is play an NCAA tournament with the NBA teams. What would it do, though? What would you win? 
It's a sponsor to put up ten million, a million, right. a million money. dollars a player. Okay, you win money. All right, that'd yeah. be interesting. Guys would play for money. I mean, you put up a million dollars a player. Yeah, and you know, give coaches half that or whatever. Some of those role players are really going to be playing hard because you know what happens is because of a playoff series, you don't have a lot of dynamic, creative coaching going on. But in a single elimination game, you could see some coaching going on out there. You could see slow down basketball, or you could see boxing one basketball. You could see a lot of interesting stuff. It would, I think, it would open up the toolbox of coaches to show the world that they're pretty good coaches. Yeah. Last one, and then we're gonna hit some questions to wrap this up. But you know, Carmelo just became a top ten all time scorer in the NBA. When you saw that happen, what, what were your thoughts and feelings? You know, my thoughts are positive in, in the sense that I'm happy for him. Uh, my only negative thought is I wish he would have found out that being a, a good bench player, I wish he would have identified mm. with that, you know, a half a dozen years now ago. Right, because right. I think he could have had more glamour right. by being the sixth man of the year award someday because he, he's a great offensive player. I mean, a bad defensive team, he'll still score numbers on you. Right. It's funny that you say that because there's a narrative out there, you know, they kept him out of the league or the people that conspired to keep Melo out. And I think the, the truth is that Melo laughed. He balked at the idea of coming off the bench in Oklahoma City when it clearly made sense for him to do so. And I think that's why he didn't. He bounced out the league for a bit as people said, well, if you don't want to come off the bench, we don't have a starting spot for you or this or that. But, you know, I like Melo. I like to see that. I like to see it. And I liked his speech about how many guys would be out of the league for a year, year and a half and fall out of shape to the way they couldn't have had the little run that he's had over the last two years. So I think it's a cool story. Um, Kale, let's hit some chats. What do we got? got what do the people want to know from Coach? We've got some interesting ones. This one I kind of want to – I'm combining two. Okay. What is more intense, coaching at the NBA playoffs or on a FIBA World Cup? But we also had a couple questions asking about whether European coaches could make the leap to the NBA. We have such <clears> a <throat> European audience. Everybody knows your European uh, history as well. Uh, there's some great coaches, uh, in Europe and they, I, when I was in Europe, that was a long time ago. That was nineties. 89 was my last year, I think. Um, so that's changed. They're, they've changed the rules to a 24 second clock, which is good. I still think the difference in NBA basketball and European and college basketball is eight minutes. They play a 40 minute mm -hmm. game. And a 40-minute game, doesn't, that difference doesn't sound like a lot, but I want you to know it's incredibly amount, very powerful. The best team, the most talented team, those eight minutes is when the cream comes to the top. Mm. You can play 40 minutes pretty – you can have an upset going in 40 minutes. Right. A lot of teams in the NBA, a lot of underdogs are at the beginning of the fourth quarter. You know, they're, they're winning the game, sometimes winning the game by double digits. But then when the stronger team says, okay, it's time to go, it usually works out that they, the, the weaker team will lose the game. Um, I'm, I'm probably going to answer the European players. Is there something about that question I'm missing that on? Uh, whether European coaches could make the transition to the NBA. Um, I think someday it will happen. I think someday, as I think I think we'll have a woman coach, and I think someday we'll have a European coach. Yeah, we've had a couple high-profile failures with Kakashkov and and um, Blatt over right. the last few years. Those guys are very successful in Europe, but haven't made the leap. But I'm not I'm not sure that many European coaches want to come here. <laughs> I mean, I mean, Culturally, I think that's the thing. The cultures, you know, players I think can fit in this a lot easier. But you know, from what I hear, all the Serbians. Out there, you have complete authority. A player's not listening to you. You tell them to get out, and they're out. You come here, that's not the case, man. It's a lot, lot more finessing that needs to be done. No, I mean, I've always felt European coaches were more like our college coaches. They're, the, they're right. more of a dictator, as yeah. we're think an NBA coach. has got to be a little more of a democratic president. Yeah, You do have times that you can be a dictator, but most of the time, you gotta, you got to manage to keep everybody on your side. Yeah. What else we got, Kale? All right. Hey, wanted to ask Coach what he thinks is the perfect balance between offense and defense in the modern game, in his eye, as a pro. Perfect balance. 
I think the regular season is more offensively oriented and the playoffs is more defensively oriented. Now that is changing. I think offense is still winning in the, in the playoffs a little bit more than in the past. Um, but I, th- I think Golden State was the team that woke me up to saying we got, you can't play guys that don't play defense. And I think Golden State played a team most of the time where they, almost every position was at least above average or good offensively and same defensively. And, right. and they had great offense, and they also had great defense. And I think that's where the game, I think, kind of went from away from the big guy. The three ball, balanced players, probably uh, positionless players, six, seven, six, eight guys that can play one through four. And uh, I think that's that's where the game is going right now. And in, in a lot of ways, it's still going that way. Yeah. What else, Kale? All right. Uh, this is a good one. Coach, any recommendations on books slash philosophies regarding leadership mm. and managing a team? Mm. Interesting question. Um, well, my favorite basketball book is The Secret Game. It's about fast break basketball by John McClendon when he coached in North Carolina A&T. And they played an all-white, all-black, all-black, all-white game against a team from Duke that no one ever knew about in the, in the early, f- mid-40s. Hmm. During World War II, that's a great book. A book I just read recently and I'm a big fan of is uh, Doing the Impossible, or it's a book by Stephen Kotler. Um... Uh, Doing the, I think making making the impossible possible or something like that. Uh, that's a a little bit about mental flow, and about how you can be a, a better a better leader and a better person by by not only just spending two hours with uh, with your team, but committing your life to a a pattern of leadership and and flow and mental flow. Making the impossible possible. I just Making it out the there impossible this. possible. Let's get a couple more here. Rapid fire. All right. Noah Tucker, do you prefer to set the tone with lineups or counter what the other team is doing? I think the starting lineup is the stupidest thing we have in basketball. <laughs> because it should be malleable? Yeah. If I, if I can coach the game better by changing my lineup without upsetting someone, it'd be a lot more fun. And I think the players would realize that. Man, I heard Kelly Oubre. I heard did not would refuse to come off of the bench, and I just thought to myself, like that's the kind of stuff that is, it sinks a team. If you have a guy that, what does it matter? You don't start. Or you do this, especially if you're a Kelly Oubre caliber player. I get it. If maybe you feel like you're this or that, but if you're a Kelly Oubre caliber player, why does it matter? You're gonna get the minutes. Just do what the team needs. But it drives me nuts. It's all about minutes and who finishes. It has nothing. And co- as coaches, who starts the game, and it, and it, it, I want to when I come out on the floor, I want to go play. And now we have all these introductions and national anthems and four-minute breaks. <laughs> Let's just go play. <laughs> so funny. All right. Uh, what, what else we got, Gail? This one's fun. Uh, what's the over-under on number of games before Faku gets punched in the face in a seven-game <laughs> series in the playoffs? And, and as a counter, you play. You say you played like him. Did you ever get punched in the face? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, uh, hold, on, hold on. He's got oh. it. I want to hear. <clears throat> I don't think anybody's going to throw a punch. Not today. No way. No uh, the money, it costs too much money, plus you're going to be suspended. And so I think you're going to see combative, responsible, combative, competitiveness. I think, you, you know, if, they're, if he's going to rough up my guy, we're probably going to try to rough up your guy. Mm. He's tough, though, man. He's ready for it. He could take a few punches. All right, why hasn't AG stepped up in an offensive way? Because he never has. That's what I was going to say. I just don't think I think he's stepped up to you're, his ability. You're asking him to do something he hasn't yeah, done I yet. I agree. I agree with this. I mean, he might have he stepped up a little bit last year. But, uh, you know, that's who he is. And he's a great player. I, I marvel... People forget that Anthony Davis was an awful offensive basketball player. Now he's a better offensive player than he was a defense, than a defense player. And he used to be a great defensive player. 
it kind of the pendulum has swung. And I, I, I actually prefer the defensive-minded Anthony Davis, the angry Anthony right. Davis, more than the one I see now. Mm, interesting. Let's get one more. You got one more for us? Kim? Yeah, last one. Okay. How much of a concern are the injuries to the front court when the playoffs come around? The offense runs through Jokic, but I worry that we don't match up well on defense with the rest of the West guards. Well, what, uh, what's interesting about that is I think Shaq Harrison's a good defender. I think Dozier's a good defender. Faku's a good defender. So I actually think defensively. Rivers is a good defender. Rivers is a good defender. Defensively, Denver actually has guys that can defend. My question would be more offensive, but maybe you disagree. Totally. Uh, I don't I mean, I, I, <clears throat> I think they need more offensive action or more playmaking action in the backcourt rather than just making the responsibility of Jokic. Mm. Uh, but I, I hope you don't think you. I mean, Jokic has got. If you, if you, if Denver loses Jokic, they're not very good. <laughs> if Denver loses what? If he, if Jokic gets hurt. Oh right, yeah, I mean, of course. I mean, I mean, I mean, he is. I would think right now he's forty to forty-two minutes every night in yeah. the playoffs. Can he handle that? I mean, we've seen him go sixty minutes, but th- but this is such a condensed playoffs, even. <clears throat> You don't know the wear and tear of having a short break. Uh, you know, they were off for four months. They play a short season. We play well. This is a little different. Yeah, it uh, definitely is different. And uh, I don't, I mean, you, you gotta, you know, you, you shouldn't be predicting it now. You should be as moderate, monitor it, and uh, figure it out as the playoffs go on. Well, Coach, this was great. The people in the chat are loving it. Um, always great insight. I think the next time we talk, there's only two weeks left in the season. The next time, we're going to be preparing for the matchup. Uh, it could be the Lakers. I think Denver's a top four seed, almost guaranteed. Lakers, Portland, Dallas, and then Memphis, Golden State. Um, I think it's probably Lakers or Dallas. I'm guessing you think Dallas is the preferred matchup for Denver of those No two. question. No question. Well, we're going to... Who does Yogi? Who do they cover you? I well, mean, yeah, they don't have anybody. Well, they have two young kids that'll put it, put their nose into it, but they're who? The big, the Powell. That kid, Powell. The, uh, oh man, he destroys Powell. But but Powell will give him a contest. But okay. I like Powell on the court because he weakens Dallas. So mm. the only negative with playing Dallas is if if it's an offensive series dallas has damn yeah. good offensive players really that's an that's an aaron gordon series they're denver's gonna have to count on him to be able to really guard luka Doncic, which maybe he's up i think he's up for that task i i have confidence in aaron gordon's defense on big guys like that like the main the main guys maybe i'll be proven wrong but that's how i feel but everybody we appreciate you tuning in don't forget guys this is also a podcast we do every other week so we did this one live we might do a lot more of these live i had fun doing this one live in front of the in front of the the streaming audience so as we go into the playoffs more live shows from the bar maybe more live shows like this um but don't forget subscribe on apple podcast spotify wherever you get your podcast keep it at 1000 pod and we'll see you guys in a couple weeks